welcome to This Is Life. Okay, guys, I'm going to keep this real short. Uh, this is the second half portion of the second half of my interview with Jessica. Um, if you have not already listened to the first three segments of my interview, Jessica, I highly recommend you push pause on this and then go back and and listen to the other um other parts of the episodes because you really in order to gain this under, an understanding and have a full appreciation for Aria's story uh, you really need everything and if not just the three from Jessica previous to this but also the one on with CJ uh, and just on the just on a side note I am have a have a date scheduled with Chris to come in and just talk from his heart and we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks but. If you have not heard the other ones, go ahead and just push pause and head on over and listen to those first. Uh, it does definitely get a lot more intense now. So, you know, everyone's going to respond to this information and to the stories differently. But one thing is for sure is that I was so grateful that Jessica was just willing to come in and be open and be candid and be honest. And there's a lot of tears from both of us in this episode uh, just because she was so open. Now, I don't even talk that much in, in this in this episode. And it's more just me letting her talk and you just hear a real as if she was talking to you, just telling you the story of being there in, in Arya's last moments. Uh, like I said, it's about two hours long, so it's kind of intense. It does take some time. You may have to listen to it in segments. You may even have to like listen to it in a different venue. Maybe if you're driving generally when you listen to my shows or any other podcasts. And maybe this would be better suited at home with your headphones on. I'm not sure, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's it's a story that's important to share. It's important to, to hear. It's inspiring. It's heartbreaking. It's every single emotion really all wrapped up. So I really hope that this series has been a blessing to you and that you will share it and that people all across the world. I mean, I'm hoping that Arya's story just goes everywhere because it's not only is it necessary to be heard, but it's, it's so many people can relate with it and they may even think that they're having to go through this alone and maybe just hearing Jessica or CJ or Chris's voice on the other side of a speaker just saying, hey, you know, I've been there. I know what you're going through. Here's how I got through it. Here's the times I didn't get through it. You're just knowing that that there is other people who have been suffering and going through this tough, difficult experience. And the whole point of really just life is just helping one another. That's why if you look on the artwork of this show, it's just a, it's a hand pulling up another hand. And it's, it's truly what I believe. I truly believe that we can gain so much experience and love from just helping one another and lifting each other up and just hearing another story. So enough from me. Here is the final portion of my interview with Jessica. So the biopsy results. Now, do they do they call you in for a meeting? Do no, they send we you a were letter? we were still in the hospital. We were not oh, going home until, until we knew what was going I got on. It. So we were still in the hospital, and I mean, you want to take a turn towards the dark side. Um, that was a bad day. <laughs> When you received the results from biopsy, it was a bad, bad. Because all that, because at that point, you've still been under the impression that 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 there is hope, that there is mm -hmm. a fifty percent chance, but we're going to still beat this. And it's yes, it could be an infection, it could be this that. But then when 
the rubber meets the road, as they say, and you have these results in front of you of now you're facing, Arya's facing mortality. Yeah. Is that is that really kind of how it, how it went? Yeah. Well, you had once asked me um, what was harder, her death or hearing that she had cancer. Right. And I told you that neither of those days was the hardest. The hardest day was the day we found out that that she was terminal and that was and still is the hardest day i think i have ever let's let's if you don't mind let's i mean ever you're able to let's let's kind of revisit that day you know i I, like i think that this is the kind of the part of the story now where you're right it does get a little harder darker more difficult to talk about because again you're just a six-year-old who went from living with cancer to now dying with of cancer? Yeah. Um. So I guess you know we we every single day, you and I and everybody who's listening and everyone who in the world, you get up and we can have a plan of how that day is going to go. We can have an idea of things that we want to do that day, uh, but none of us are promised any of those things. Mm-mm. And. At the end of the day, that day could end up completely different than you woke up expecting it to be. And I kind of liken to that maybe how this circumstance was. Like you knew you were going to get some sort of news and the doctor was going to talk to you, I assume. And you had your fears, but at the same time, there's still a portion of hope in you. Right. You know, because your daughter's still here, you know, she's And she's healthy right. and happy, like right. other than this fluid. It's not like she's, she's there at comatose. I mean, right. she's She's you know, running her, around. Right. Right. Running around the hospital. Probably walking the halls. Okay, so All right, so let's let's go there then. Let's let's talk about that. So when when did um how did the doctor break the news to you that this is now we're facing a, an end here? Okay, so I took Ari into the play air, to playroom at the hospital because they have a room dedicated for the children on the pediatric floor to play in, you know, so they can get out of their own rooms. And I took her to play in the room, and I, I think Francine met us in there, and so we were all three just sitting in there, and Ari and Francine were playing, and I was playing, and Dr. Othman came to the door, <laughs> true Dr. Othman style, and said, can I talk to can I talk to you? Um, can we take a walk and I'll talk to you? Mm. But you've been here before. Yep. Yeah, we've been down this road. Let's separate the parent from the child and we know Were the you by yourself again? I was by myself. So again, you were by yourself. I was by myself. Wow. So we walk down to our room, Aria's room, and we go in and she closes the door and she says it's her cancer and i was like okay i said what does that mean like what do we do and she said that means that there are no more treatment options and I was like, what? And she cried. The doctor. The oncologist. Who is Jesus every single day. Bawling. And she says, this is the part of my job that I hate. Mm-hmm. 
and she's bawling and I'm bawling and I said what can we do and she said you can pray you can pray for a miracle because there's no more options and I was like beside myself yeah at that point you're probably like no there there has to there has to be something there has to be something we can do right i'm like like don't spirit like my brain is going right. crazy because i'm like experimental treatments or case studies or something like there's got to be something like we're not without she's on chemo what do you mean there's no more options she's down the hall playing and she's playing yes like we th- what what are you saying and she cried and i cried and she hugged me and she says i'm gonna send you home today and i was like no what by the only time you actually wanted to be right i'm like you're what she's like there's nothing that we can do the cancer is back i said well you know like what what are the chances like what can we do she's like she said it would take a miracle for her to live at this point a miracle and i just remember how much my head hurt and how much i cried and the first person to show up to the hospital was my mom and she comes into the room and she sits down on the bed next to me and she just holds me and I cry and she cries uh, does she just even know anything at this point she just knows just you well, she the, the doctor you know yeah. briefed her and we're all just three just sitting in the room just bawling just tears and sadness <laughs> And I didn't know. It was it was the worst. What are you, at, the, at the thing you can't. There's nothing to say. There's nothing to do. I think at that point. I mean, I think it's. It was absolutely the right person to be there for you. Was your mother? Yeah. And then, I, I don't. I remember. Chris coming, and I remember CJ coming. And I remember CJ's mom coming and his sister and just people came and just, I remember when Chris came, the doctor said, do you want to talk to him or do you want me to talk to him? And I said, can you, because I don't think I can do it. And so she took him and told him and yeah, I, it was just. If I know Chris, he probably just was speechless, just stoic. The look on his face. Yeah. I don't think that I have. I don't think either of us yeah. have probably. Just ever. a little bit of background on Chris, and maybe I'd like to get him in sometime if he's up to sharing his side of. But the one thing I know about Chris is I call Chris the. Like you've heard of, you know, Jack of all trades. He's the Chris of all trades. He's the kind of guy that. 
he doesn't say no. He'll say how and when can I get it done. And, and I think that's just his personality is just to find problems and solve them and fix them. That's why he has and is able to do so many things. So I, I can imagine from his viewpoint, quote unquote, failure is not an option, as they say. Like right. they, they just being told from a nerve from a doctor that there's no more treatments. Just had to just. Shake him to his core, like it did anybody who heard those words. Yeah, yeah. And and he, I don't. I think even more than me, he was like, "No, this is not. Yep, this is not. This is not the end. This is not. You're. You can't tell me that there's not something. I mean, he was like, "What? Do something. Do something. Your doctors. You good money. Do I'm working my butt off. Do to something. Fix her. Like." I don't care if we have to leave the state, if we have to leave the country, like somewhere there's got to be something that we can do to save her. Like what, what is the options? And yeah, at that point you don't care what you got to do. No. Yeah. There's like, like there's nothing that I will not do for, to save my child. Right just, now. just tell us. And cause that's all you've been doing for the last almost two years. Right. Is just whatever it took. <clears throat> and that, that still hasn't changed. Even though you're now getting this news of, of it, being, of it being terminal, it's like, no, I, I refuse to accept that. I mean, I think that right. that'd be anybody's first result, for right. first first desire. But, yeah. I mean, we had to we had to go through, you know, they say there's like stages of grief. And, and that's pretty much denial. where it began. We were denial. We were angry. We were, yep. you know, every everything. Everything. Like every emotion. She was still alive. And we were going through grief. We were grieving before she was did they say, ever gone. Yes, that they said that the cancer was back, but did they say how? Well, what made it terminal? No. Like what was a? What was it? Was it just that? It was it was it the fluid in the lungs? Was it another tumor? Was it her all the other cells, all the above? Like what was it that was killing well, her? I the way that that I understand it is like. Um, you know when you get sick and you're supposed to take an antibiotic and you don't take your full cycle of antibiotic yeah. and then you don't completely get over it and then your sickness comes back stronger the next time exactly, right. and then the antibiotics don't work. So it's kind of like that. Like she has been through the chemo and this cancer is strong and it's coming back and there's nothing like there's not a stronger chemo to fight this she's done if there was it would be it would kill her itself anyway right this is it like we have given you the top notch this is what we got to give you to kill this cancer and it didn't kill the cancer so this cancer is stronger than our most powerful drug there's nothing we can do and of course you know we did our own side research she called our oncologist she called every you know um person she could think of you know like uh colleagues from other places saint jude and um i can't even think of all the places like she gave us a whole list of all these people that she knows at different cancer centers and stuff to see if there were any like trials that she could get on or anything like any options like give me something and there was nothing there was one um study thing going on or trial case whatever the word is the like a trial right um at mm, children's mercy maybe it was a kansas city hospital 
but when she called, they didn't have any room. Oh. There was no space for. And that, that's for just her. a trial. It's not like it would. Right. It was just basically a. And she even told us that she's like, you know, I could whip up a concoction of chemo to attempt to fight this, but I would be fighting in the dark. Like, I, I don't know. And it could probably just kill her itself. Like, she's like, take your time with your baby. So at this point, it's just exactly right. At this point, it's just, you are basically told there's nothing else I can do. Now it's up to you just to make her comfortable until take her home. Nature takes its course. Yeah, they set us up with palliative care because she had mentioned hospice, and we were like, "What A hospice? Hospice is for people who are, you know, on their deathbed, dying. Right. Like she's still good. Like look at her; she's doing cartwheels in the hallway. Like she's good. What are you talking about?" No, we can't do hospice. We're not ready for hospice. So she put us on palliative care, which is like the step right before hospice where they, you know, monitor her more closely. So we don't have to go to the emergency room every time right. something comes up. I mean, we go to the doctor regularly. It's it's like a primary care, but only for somebody who's do they terminal. Do they come to you or? Um, palliative care did not come to us, okay. but they provided us with so much so much like they were wonderful they got us hooked up with a wheelchair because you know later on she couldn't walk they got us um meds pain meds um they got us a handicap parking so we could be closer you know if we took Mm -hmm. her anywhere which everything at that point went by so fast Mm -hmm. i did eventually stop going to work because well, sure. I couldn't, I no, couldn't work. work. Anymore. I, I've always believed what, why else do we work but for our family? Right. And if, 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 if the family has to become priority, I had so much guilt, like guilt while I was at work because I don't know how much time I have left with her you and work with children and I work with kids, healthy and, children, quote unquote, yeah. you know, kids, you get to, you see parents every single day. They get to take their kids home. Kids the same age as and, my kid. Right. And, and, and you have to go home to a daughter who has days left on the earth. Right. We don't, we don't know how much time. And they even told us, they said it could be, that had been one of your first questions. It could like be, how long we got. right. It could be a couple months. It could be a year. Like, and we were praying for the year and we were praying there was something would happen within that year that would give us approximately what something. month was this? It was, you guys got married in March. Uh, within 30 days. We found or? out in April. It was the end of April. If I remember middle correct. end I mean, of middle April. End, okay. Yeah. So at the end of everything, when they finally sent us home, I think it was towards right. the end of April. Um, yeah. And so I think I worked clear till a couple weeks into May, maybe, maybe I, I can't remember the timeline exactly. I just know that. Was there a time that you were much. in a hospital in Kansas city in there around that time? I have a yes. memory of that. Yes. What, what was that for? Actually, I never really even knew why it was like in May. Cause I remember I was supposed to months prior to all of this, CJ and I had planned to go to uh, an all-day music festival that he could not end up making for obvious reasons, 
Um, but I remember you guys were in Kansas City because I remember the whole time about the con- concert in Kansas City that I couldn't stop thinking about you guys being there. What, what was that for? Do you remember? They wanted to do a surgery um, on her lung to remove basically what, in a way that people could maybe understand, they were going to remove the space between her lung and the lining of her lung so that it would stop filling up with fluid. Because that was that was probably, like, at that point, the major problem. Like, yes. if we don't stop the fluid, it's her death is going to be more quicker right. and imminent than yes. if we were to... So we can't fix the problem, but we at least, quote-unquote, put a Band-Aid on the situation exactly. to help prolong the inevitable. Right, yeah. So the surgery was to do that so that there wouldn't be no more fluid on her lung. And then while the doctor was in there, he was going to try to remove any potential cancer that he saw, like tumors or anything right. possible, possibly. Basically we're just, Poss- we're it was more exploratory right. than, than anything, but we're going to go in, we're going to see what's, what we can see. And right. we're going to close up this lining so that no more fluid happens. And hopefully that will help. So was the surgery successful? Um, I mean, in what they originally intended to do, the separation. Yes, yes. However, that was the scariest surgery that we ever had to go through. Even more than the Even tumor surgery. Even more than the first tumor surgery. What made it so scary? Because I mean, I would imagine the first one would be the scariest, but I... I because we've just found out that our child is going to die true. sooner than later, that's and true. who knows... If this surgery is going to be if it, she can even. I mean, you're right because we're talking about a year and a half of chemotherapy, radiation tests. Yeah. And now that you've found out, yeah, that her body's terminal. It's like it was yeah. quite scary. And the doctor came in to talk to me and Chris. He take you know they take you into like a little room to talk to you, and you know that part was normal. We knew that was coming, right. and he comes in. And, like, the only thing I needed to know was that she was alive and okay at that moment. Right. But he said, this was, like, the realest, the realest, most honest moment. He said, there was cancer all over in her lungs, and he looked. Lungs, not just one. No, lung. just the one lung. Okay. Sorry, lung. Okay. And he looked at us in the face, and he said, She's not going to survive this. Mm. I mean, because up until this point, even though we were told, we, you know, part of us still didn't believe. Right. And he's like, there's so much in there. But see, that's the thing is that you had, because before it was just the PET scan, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, maybe once they get in there, they'll change their mind. Right. Or maybe when maybe. they get in there, they can just take out whatever's in there and it'll be less than we yeah. thought. Yeah, I mean, because I think it's the whole thing is that I remember that being like, there's just a, a we're looking at a sliver of hope. Right. But for, for crying out loud, we're talking about your child living, you will hold on to the, sli- the yeah. tiniest sliver of hope that a miracle will happen. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now the doctor's coming in and saying, she's, she's not, she's not going so to So basically live. they're... There is no hope. Is essentially what I'm saying. Right. There's right. there's nothing left. Like it's already grown so much, because 
they they showed me the PET scan and it was just a tiny little bit. And this was a month later, mm. a month. I mean, we had spent that month hanging out. She's still healthy. You know, she's playing on the swing set and riding her bike and everything just didn't, it didn't add up. It didn't seem right. Like this child is not dying. Mm. And then I remember the decline started happening because breathing started getting a little more difficult. So that's one thing that's interesting about if you're talk, talking about, because we started off with kidney cancer. What was the name of the cancer that she was originally? Wilms tumor. Wilms tumor. So, and that, that and, and at that time there was, if I remember what we talked about, is that it was mostly in her kidney, but it had spread to other parts. Just the lung. But just, just the lung. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't enough at that point to be like, this is going to kill her immediately. Like, there's right. still 90% chance. And the 50% chance, they found, if I remember, that's because they found that the spot on weird her tumor, they, they right. had weird issues. Yeah. And then we would go now. To, so that's that's kind of what I'm like kind of getting at. It's like, it wasn't the kidney cancer that killed her. It, it was, was the same cancer. It was the cancer that, it, but it, it, that spread... To her lung because you can't yeah. get a lung transplant, right? Well, we, we explored every option, and we uh-huh. were like, "Could you just take out her lung? Could you remove her lung? Could she just live a life of with one lung? Could she do that?" Sure. And I mean, you could do that, but that's not living. No, I mean that's what they said. They were like, "No, no." Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's it the would... whole quality over quantity, right? Kind of your story, you know. Yeah. I mean, we. We, we put down our pets, you know, mm-hmm. you know, for, for mercy's sake. And I'm not saying you obviously put down your child. I'm saying that you have to be able to ask yourself, is the amount of pain, suffering, right. struggle, and even chance, is the, right. is the chance even worth and it? And, really they, and they point, even no. said if they take out their lung, it's going to come in the, in the other lung. Yeah, It will come to the other lung. Yeah, and like then there's nothing we can do. And then she has no lung. She, right. she is just the end. So, I mean, okay, I so mean, we explored every option. Believe me, if there was an option, we explored it. You know, Did you have a problem with people coming up and trying to tell you, you should try this, you should try that? I mean, I, I hear that sometimes. People have no, kids, like but we, experts everywhere trying to tell you what you should do. We kind of put out a disclaimer that said, you know, please don't offer us your advice, your suggestions, your right. whatever. Please believe us. We have considered every us. option that but, there yeah. is. We, and a way we don't want do this. That, they're saying, I don't trust you enough to, to care for your child. Let me tell you about something I think will work for right. you. Right. And, you know, and I don't think that's just other people's heart, but I mean, people, we have to think of ourselves in the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. Just because you know something that worked for your, you know, your great aunt Sue and, right. you know, in the, in the backwoods of Virginia or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for this right. particular circumstance. Right. And you have to just be really mindful of it. There was there was a couple things, you know, a couple of people that were like, hey, have you tried this? And, and most people were pretty mindful. You know, they said, like, we know you've probably thought of every option that there is. Have you considered this? And if, if you have or if you don't want to, you know, just dismiss it. You know, they weren't, like, pushy. And I was thankful because right. I was like, yeah, at that point, you just don't want to hear it. I'm like, believe me, if there was some miracle cure out there that would bring my daughter back to health, I would be more than happy to to jump on that board. But right. there's not. When um, I wanted you to take me to the night and I was actually there 
when you had to tell her brother and sister that Arya was terminal, that she the 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 hope was gone. Now we we've we've gone and done every single thing that we can as a mother and a father and the doctors. Everybody has helped. Yeah, uh, I know that you guys asked me and Rachel to be present for that, but I kind of want to hear from kind of your point of view, and I mean, I can even express from my point of view. Just how do you prepare yourself for that? I mean, it's one thing to tell people and tell your tell the family, even yes, she has cancer, but we're going to fight this. There's hope, but then there's another conversation of where you're saying she has cancer is killing her and there's nothing we can do right in fact the doctors say it's going to be probably sooner than later that was hard that was very very hard conversation yeah because aiden was 10 9 at the time um it was april of 2018 he had just turned nine right how is he now he's 11 so he just turned 10 yeah. Wow. And Alyssa was still in high school. Yep. Lynn, Lynn, well, Lynn, yeah. she had just. She was about to graduate. No, she graduated this year. She graduated this year. Okay. So she was so a junior in high she school. She was a junior. But it was the end of the school year. And right. Chris didn't, and I, we agreed that we didn't want to tell the kids until school was out. Right. Because we didn't want it to affect their grades or right. affect their concentration. Right, we're school. not. Yeah, because the doctor told you is it's going to be down the road, but we're not facing like a tomorrow. Threat. Right, right. Like it could be soon or it could be later, <coughs> and we didn't want to disrupt. And everything. obviously, you know, if you would have started seeing the danger warning signs prior, you know, watching Ari and her symptoms, all of a sudden she's having this trouble, you know, really hard time breathing or right. moving and that kind of deal. Then there are things to change. But that makes sense why you would kind of wait to talk. And it to wasn't long. It's not like we found out in no, January was, no, and we wanted like, to wait till it May. Was the end, it was right. It was the end of it was the end of April. Yeah. No, no, no. It was in May. It was the yeah. It was like towards the beginning of May. Yeah. It was like maybe two weeks total right. that we held off on telling right. them, and we we weren't really sure, you know, how they would react. But we knew we knew Alyssa would take it really hard because her and her sister were super close. I mean, they. Loved each other so much. Um, and Aiden being Aiden and the, you know, got to be strong boy, didn't want right. to show any emotion, even though it probably tore him up quite a bit. He, yeah. you know, he's like, can I just go play? Like he was more of a, you know, we told we told him and he just was like, OK, he just internalized it. OK, can I go yeah. play now? Right. Like, I don't. I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I got it. I heard you what you said. Him. I'm just gonna go now. Right. And you know, Alyssa, being Alyssa, you know, she cried and wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Wanted to talk about it a lot. Sometimes even when I was like, I don't want to talk about it, she was like, Let's talk about it, and you know, which is good. I mean, it's good for her, and I wasn't ever upset with that, no. but you know. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, okay, yeah. I can't, I can't right now, but. Well, it's because it's, it's like, it was your life. I mean, from the moment you got up to 
even while you're to you know, to go to bed, even while you're sleeping, you probably were dreaming about mm-hmm. this whole circumstance. I mean, again, let alone all of the you know life you're having to endure. I mean, you're still a mother to Aiden and Alyssa, and Crystal has to go to work to make sure there's insurance coverage, right. and, and you have to make sure that all of the you know doctor's appointments are in line, or right. that are if she's on any medication has to be taken care of. Oh my gosh, the medication. Yeah, I guess we talk about that. that. I mean, that uh, how much medication at this point? We don't necessarily have to belabor the whole year, you know, two years. But I mean, at this point, how many medications and what are the medications for? Are they just there to keep her comfortable, to keep her pain lowered? Yeah, well, make sure that she her breathing is okay. She took um, she took medications during the chemo to like keep her from being constipated and. Um, to keep her allergies in control and things like that. But at this point, pretty much we scrapped all of that, and we were now on pain meds, hmm. lots of pain meds. And it started gradual, but she hurt. Like once they went in and they did the surgery, that was the point where there was there was just no getting the playful, cheerful, happy Aria back. Like she was still smiling and silly, but she could as activity. She levels. was in so much pain, so much pain. And mind you, remember this is the child who had a giant tumor in her and did not ever tell anybody that she no, hurt. Right. This is the child that had so much fluid in her lung that she was like, ow, my, it kind of hurts. You know, like grown people would be like seriously Right, this, this is overwhelming, with. right. But she, she was able to have that tolerance. So I know that she was hurting. It was horrid pain. And it just, it you know, like I said, it started gradual. And they, they gave her um, fentanyl patches. And then they upped the dose of fentanyl patches, and then they put her on Dilaudid. Was there ever a moment that kind of, like, alarmed you? Like, I'm putting fentanyl into my child's body. When it first started, (laughs) this this was the point where it, it became more real to me, was my concern was addiction. I was like, this is like narcotics. This is... This is really like addictive. You you don't want to take, I don't want to give these meds to my baby because she's going to get addicted. Stupid. Right. Stupid. Yeah. Like I'm an idiot. Like why, why would. I get it. But I would, I think the same thing. No. You think of a fit all you think opioids, you think all those things. Immediately you think of some drugged out celebrity. And I was like, no, she's going to, she's going to be addicted to, to, pain meds and mm-hmm. and you know like uh, i can't fault you for and, that i do the same thing just just dumb just dumb the things yeah. that come into your head you but again though because there's still a part of you i think the reason why that this is regardless of all the things that you've been told 
you still want to believe that that there right. is a a long term plan here, right? Like your fight, like your body, because again, it's not normal. This is not what we were we were not created to have to watch our children suffer this kind of disease, right. and so therefore, so it's no wonder that you would have that immediate reaction. Anybody right. would, right? Because you're like, no, this, I'm, I'm, I can't. Yeah, because your brain is it's like your brain and your heart are constantly fighting. Like your brain knows that she's terminal. That we're talking days here, right? And that that that, that um, a little bit of, of fentanyl to get her through the pain is going to be worth it but the heart's like no this this can't be you know we, right. we, 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 we there's there's still something there has to be something right. tell me there's not something right. over the counter that can help you know right. something but no no that's how bad the pain was that they put her on those drugs they put her on fentanyl and dilated and i was like this is crazy crazy Did and you have to like be careful like to keep them in a certain place, the house, the way that the kid, other kids could get into them, or well, I mean, like it or was, they probably wouldn't even know what they are. It really was like not even an issue because um, it was around that point <sighs> that things in our family dynamic kind of changed. Aria wanted to be with me always. She did not want to go to her dad's anymore because right. you know we used to split time fifty right. fifty, and she did not want to go. And she just wanted me. Yeah, mom. That's what moms do. Moms are there to comfort. And I, it hurt my heart because I knew that it hurt Chris. I yeah. knew that it did. And if there was some way I could have changed it, I would have changed it. But, I mean, when she's like, no, I just want you, mommy. Yeah. I, that's, I'm sorry. Right. She's dying. I mean, that's well, just. Yeah, exactly right. But, but I, did, right. I did hurt for Chris because yeah. I know that hurt him like a lot. Yeah. But, but at if, the same time, he's willing to give that up if that's what yes. it means for his baby. And if my baby's gonna be more comfortable, I will put my own thoughts and pride or right. whatever aside just to make sure that she, you know, right. is, is is at peace with the with all the circumstances around her. And on the flip coin, the other two kids just wanted to be at their dad's. Yeah. Like they pretty much stayed there, which helped me because I had to, you know, run Aria to the doctor and do things with her and. And they would come over and they would see me, but they would spend a lot more time at their dad's than they did they did in my house. And and I understood. They didn't want to see their sister in pain either. No. Well, that's exactly right. They're probably just... I don't, I don't necessarily say then in denial, but I think you're exactly right. I think it's, 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 it's hard enough just to have that understanding and realization. But especially when you're still maturing in your own life, having to see it every single day right. up front, face of value, and also seeing your little sister in pain. Right. I mean, that if you have an option to not have to do that, right. sure. I mean, it doesn't mean you love the, your sister any less. It just means that you're trying to find a way to process this in your own right, in your own self, which is exactly right. And, I mean, I even know, I mean, this the moments that I saw you know, between the siblings and Aria. I mean, I, you know, yes, they could definitely be ornery, and there's definitely the times they would fight or this and that. I mean, throughout this whole experience. But I never, but once I, once this kind of happened, and all of a sudden your body, your, your, your family's now like one body, one unit, one like we're, all of us are focused on making sure that Aria is comfortable for these, mm-hmm. however long, much longer we have tenderness really started to amp up right. you know 
like we're just going to be here and we're not going to fight as much. We're not going to, you know, the things that used to matter so much are kind of put on the back burner. Right. Let's just make sure that Arya is happy and, 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 and comfortable. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show just the fact that, you know, that you and Chris and, and, and CJ as a father figure, just again, you guys just created an atmosphere that was the best possible for a horrible situation. We tried. Yeah. And you do the best you can. That's that was. Every you mentioned day. a few minutes ago about her breathing, like what? Can I tell you that? Like when all of a sudden, now that we got, so we've kind of gone through different phases, right? Like we went from she's you know gone through the surgery, she's still seemingly you know in in in, in good spirits and in good energy levels. Surgery happens, doctor tells you obviously there's no more, and then that's she starts. To, that's when it starts to decline. Yeah. The pain medication has to step in because she's in so much pain. And pain's one thing. But then when you start talking about her organs not working and functioning as they should be, uh, how do you, I mean, you can manage pain with medicine. And pain is obviously a, 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 a symptom of something greater going on in the body. That something greater going on in the body is her lungs are starting to fail. Fill with tumor. Fill. Not with liquid, with tumor. The wow. tumor was taking over her that whole side of her body. Like the whole lung. Whole side? Of the, her whole lung area. Wow. Um, she had the little pain before, and the night before we went to her surgery, I was crossing my fingers saying my prayers because I was afraid that she wasn't even going to make it through that night. I was like, please get, get her to the surgery tomorrow because her oxygen levels, we got a monitor to put on her at home. Um, her oxygen levels just kept dropping. They would drop down below 90. And at the time I was like, Oh God, this is bad. Like people don't understand the average oxygen levels for a normal person is 98, 99, ish yes hundreds like perfect right you know you can range as low as like 97 and that's okay but hers were going like down below 90 and i was like this is not good we got to get to this surgery this surgery is going to make it better it's going to be better it's going to be better it's going to be better like that was my thought like she has to get to the surgery because nothing's going to get better unless we get to the surgery and the next day we went to the surgery and then we got the news and it did not get better it just got worse. The, the oxygen levels even got worse? Everything got worse. It just got worse and worse. The surgery was the beginning of June. Yeah. And it went downhill fast. So fast. They, they decided after the surgery to go ahead and put us on hospice. We were so ready. So you went from palliative care... To hospice. To hospice. And hospice obviously meant bedside, you know, nurses around the clock whenever you need them. Yeah. I, we went up to the hospital for something. I don't, I'm guessing pain. Everything was pain. Um, and I remember we're walking, I'm walking in the halls by the emergency room, you know, by her room of the emergency room. And the doctor, Dr. Othman came out and she said something about hospice. And I said, yeah, I think it's time. 
how do you know when to take take her to the hospital at that point? <clears throat> I mean, what I mean by is generally most cases you go to the hospital when there's an unusual amount of pain or symptoms that get your attention. So you mm-hmm. go to the hospital, check out your whole life is quote getting your attention at this point. Right. When you're in, when she's in that kind of circumstances, like what prompts you to be like, okay, this is not, uh, this is not a part of our new normal. This is something extra that we have to I get checked out. We only went to the hospital a couple of times after we found out that, that she was terminal. Um, like I said, I don't remember exactly why we went, but I'm, I'm guessing it had to have just been an extreme amount of pain because we were still on palliative care, but it, it was after hours, I think is what it was. And so we were there and they said, and Dr. Othman told us that hospice comes to your house. And so you have pain meds available to you all the time, whenever you need it, middle of the night, middle of the day, whenever it is that you need You need meds. Hospice is there for you. She said, this doesn't mean that I think that this, that she's going to die now. It just means she needs more support than we're able to give her with just palliative care because palliative care still has office hours. Like they're not available 24 seven. They'll do what they can for you, but it's more like nighttime you're on your own and we need it when hospice is basically the end of the line it's the last last stop right we need you you, you, kind of like imagine like a bus trip across the country like you are now on your last bus yeah like they're like the end of the line here right and we were we were like we didn't want to do it but we needed we knew we needed to because we couldn't manage it her pain was just rapidly getting worse and worse and worse and how would how would she express the pain to you she would <laughs> she would squeeze my hand and she'd say owie mommy owie mommy owie mommy owie mommy and she'd squeeze my hand as hard as she could she just wrap her little fingers around my fingers and just squeeze them to the point where it was, you know, hurting me. But I was happy to take her pain as much as I could. What do you do with that kind? I hold her hand. Yeah, I mean, because all you wanted to take the pain away. I hold her hand. Yeah. And I was happy when we got hospice on board. As terrible as hospice is You're wonderful not alone, right because there's support right. there's somebody available and i could call and i could be like her pain meds are not working help us and they would come her her nurse would come and up her pain meds they ended up putting her on a pump a, f- a medication pump so that she would have continuous medication going into her rather than so she was just in a oral. continual pain med yep. pump. A pump that would pump uh, medicine into her and it had like a a button that you could push to give her extra medication between doses if you know. We're just she talking about six year old here. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a seventy, eighty, ninety year old person. We're talking about a six year old. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, I hate to keep belaboring that point, but it's almost like when you're talking to me and we're just kind of going back and forth, it's easy to forget that. Right. It's like easy just to dismiss that we're talking about a six-year-old, but then you put to put I had to keep bringing us back there because again that just should not be. Right. And it's like, 
a child should not be sitting there holding and squeezing her mother's hand just like owie mommy owie mommy owie mommy over and over and over again and the mom has to sit there and just listen to this pain and cannot do a darn thing about it no, she no. can't go to her medicine cabinet and get her tylenol no. she can't just you know give her a warm bath and put her to bed with a cup of milk you you, you literally sit there have to watch your child suffer I, 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 and you can't do nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. And, and, and the only thing you can do is call call a nurse who is specialized in end of life care. Yep. And you know it takes her some time to get there, and so the whole time she's crying. I mean, this is the child who is strong, who yeah. does not show pain. Right. Squeezing me and telling me it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Uh, yeah. And could you tell on her body, like if her lung was like filled up, like yes, if you like raise her shirt, like could you tell one side of her body was different than the other? Yes. Yep. Her body changed so fast. She went from athletic, cartwheel flipping, crazy run through the halls, aria, you know, perfect fit physical little tiny body you know great muscle tone too she can't walk now so her legs are skinny super super skinny she's losing all of her muscle tone in her legs the right side of her chest is very large compared to the other side of her chest she has bruising her wounds still have not completely healed from her surgery um all she wanted to do was go swimming. Because oh, that was her happy place. And she had to be put on oxygen after after the surgery. They put her on oxygen, so she was on oxygen all the time, which was really important because she was it. She wouldn't have survived as long as she did without it. Um. She wanted to go swimming, so we bought a little pool, and we set it up in the driveway, and we filled it up a little bit with water and took her outside, and she couldn't walk, really, so I had to carry her pretty much everywhere, and we put a little, um, like, folding chair in the pool. So she could sit in the pool and put her feet in the pool. And she sat in the pool and she couldn't really play. She couldn't have fun. Her she little could put her face under she the water. Could, she could barely stand. Barely stand. And her legs were so skinny. And the swimming suit that she had wore a month before and fit her perfectly the bottoms were practically falling off of her and the top was so tight it was hard to put on because her chest had swollen and she had lost so much weight that the bottoms were falling down and she sat there and we had some bath bombs because she couldn't 
she couldn't splash or anything. So we let her throw pieces of bath bomb into the, into the pool water so she could watch the water turn colors and 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 smell it. And I think we spent maybe 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes out there in that pool before she had to go back in. And I think that was the last time she got outside. That was the last time she left the house, left the inside of my house till the day she died. Mm. Did she complain at all about she couldn't about her legs or about her energy or about or was she just happy to be out there in the water and the sun? And uh. well, yeah, that's why we ended up going back inside because she was like, "I'm ready to go back in." Yeah. It was hot. It was June, so it was hot. And uh, you know how hard it is to breathe in the hot Kansas air as a healthy person. And her lung was basically not working at this point, so it was really hard for her to breathe, even with her oxygen out there. And uh, she was tired. Yeah. So we went. But probably just even just you carrying her, just even you just even just you're right. Any kind of energy just would just zap it. Yeah. Especially being out in the sun. I mean, that doesn't anyway. But at the same time, she wanted to go swimming, and that was her most favorite activity, you know. And and we wanted to make it, it happen. Yeah. Oh, speaking of wanted to make it happen, um, this was around the time of her birthday party. Mm-hmm. that you wanted to have and and I remember when Rachel told me that you guys were going to have a birthday party I mean I was t- thrilled but I also knew you know like the condition of Aria like how how is this going to work obviously it won't be a normal birthday party right but at the same time, you're, who's going to say no to a six-year-old birthday party, especially if it's very well their last birthday party they're ever going to have? Right. And I remember that you guys pulled out all the stops as yeah, much as did. you could. I mean, as much as you could afford. You you know you were creative in all the ways you could de- decorate. You know, she wanted a, a unicorn party. A unicorn poop. Party. A unicorn poop. I get it right. Yeah, unicorn. She that was a unicorn. Poop that that tells party. you anything about Ari right there. That, that's what she wanted. Not a unic. Not just a unicorn party. A unicorn poop party. We promised that girl a unicorn poop birthday party, and yeah. that is what we gave her. Yeah. Yeah, they were unicorn poop, like like rainbow. Like, you know, I've ever seen like the emoji poop, but like they were rainbow, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. all over, you know, and cupcakes and, cupcakes you know, rainbow and decora- poop yeah, and- decorations. And there's a giant inflatable unicorn out in the front yard. Yeah. And, you know, I spent most of my time there cooking. You know, right. uh, that was that was my role. I wanted you and CJ and Chris to be able to be there to greet guests, take care of Aria, to be there. So I was like, hey, guys, I'll just man the grill. So I didn't get to see a lot of the party, which was okay. I didn't mind it because I wanted to be there to be helpful. helpful. But from what I gathered from talking with Rachel is that because uh, Aria was contained to the sofa. Yeah. The whole party, even though it was in the middle of summer and, you know, you guys probably had 50 people there one time even. 
you can you know you have a decent sized house, but you don't have a big house. You know, you have your average size house, and all those people can't be in there. And plus, on top of that, you know, you, you don't want all of those people around a ailing child. You right. know, at one time, so a lot of the party was outside. How difficult was that for 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 Aria to have a birthday party, have all of her friends and family there? But yet not be able to really enjoy the birthday party. I mean, because I, I, I don't know. Maybe she did enjoy it. I don't know. I know that she seemed to smile every time I see her. And yeah. then people would come up and give her a kiss or a hug or whatever and talk to her and wish her happy birthday. And maybe that enough in and of itself because that's all that she could really do that that was something that was special to her. Right. We We did our very best to make it fun for her. But... She was hurting. She was hurting, and there was a lot of people. It was very overwhelming for her. Like, she was very happy every time she saw somebody. She was thrilled to see them, but it was exhausting for her, I think. Um, Most people were pretty respectful. They'd come in, they'd give her hugs and tell her happy birthday, and then they'd go, you know, there was some people that... And by this time, everyone knew. Yeah. Because you had put out the Facebook post on the Team Aria. Right. You had invited the people you wanted to come to the party, but just let you guys know, this is not your normal, typical birthday party. Right. Like, I, I, got, I got a tough question to ask you. Okay. Most people, when they're coming to a six-year-old birthday party, you bring gifts <laughs> for that child to play with, to have mm-hmm. right how do you what do you bring to a what do we, right and, and on top of that do you bring you don't want to be a jerk and not bring something but at the same time you, you don't to, want to be a jerk and bring something you have to bring something right. because this child this is the child side story on her birthday we had to call her nurse to come and give her more pain meds because she was really, really hurting. And the nurse came, did not bring her birthday present. Oh. <laughs> Aria got on to her because she did not bring her birthday present. On her birthday party. On her birthday. That's funny. So she had to come back later that night to up the pain meds again, which felt like every six hours we were upping the pain meds it was ridiculous but um she came back later that night and she brought some slime for aria that her daughter had made <laughs> for aria to have for her was this birthday. the night of the birthday party yes that the night, night wow. of the birthday party so yeah you got it um, yeah because she she was like you didn't bring me a present <laughs> so i mean yeah you had to bring a present it was you're right it what do you what do you bring to a child that you know doesn't have much time? I think a lot of people, though, removed from the situation, didn't realize how bad it was. Probably not. That's that probably. In fact, I heard that a lot. A lot of people would say, "I didn't know how bad it was until I saw her." Yeah. Because and and, and, and because remember this happened very quickly. Right. A month and a half prior to this, she was she was fine. her normal running around itself, and then the last you know, nine you know, seventy eighty days have just been a quick descent 
in, 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 into basically being bedridden or she couldn't barely move. Yeah. And so you're right. So a lot of people probably just didn't know what to think. Because if I remember correctly, the birthday party was a week prior to her birthday because yes. you, there was, what, what made the decision in your mind to have a birthday party a week prior? I mean, obviously you don't know when it's going to happen. Was there something that yes. just, was that just, a, just something that you'd, I guess, tell us about that. No, we, we knew the end was coming close. Um, maybe four days before her birthday party. It was almost exactly a week before she died. Um, she started swelling in her face, like the whole side of her face swelled up, like so much so she could barely open her eye and... I was like, this is not normal. Like, I expected pain. I expected the swelling of the chest. But why is her face swelling? Um, so we called her hospice nurse. This was one of the very few times we actually ended up going to the hospital. We called her hospice nurse. And I was like, what is going on? Because her face is swelling. And she's like, well, it might just be, you know, because of her laying down more or whatever. You know, she she didn't know at the moment. But she called me back, like, not too long after that and she said you know I've really been thinking about what you told me and I think that she might have what's called superior vena cava syndrome and I was like what what is that and she's like I think you need to take her to the hospital so we went to the hospital um they checked her in, and it was superior vena cava syndrome, which basically is when her lung is so full of tumor that it is pushing her heart over um, to the point where it's cutting off blood supply. Mm. Um, they did some scans, and when we looked at the scans, because, you know, the doctors were very straightforward with us about everything, her lung was... Full of tumor. Not fluid. Tumor. Tumor. Like you probably couldn't even see the lung anymore. No. It was like black space. It was crazy. And her heart, where a normal person's heart is like towards the about the center of the chest, mm. hers was over onto her left side. Mm. Um, well, I mean, imagine the strain that put on her ventricles and the aortas and mm-hmm. the, all the Everything. things that, yeah, all the, the vessels... Yeah, so because that's what it was, I looked it up because I was like, I have to understand what this is, what we're going through, you know. And it said in the description of superior vena cava syndrome that most people die within a week. Mm. And this was? This was like four days before that Saturday we had our party. Right. And I so you know you at least a week. I looked at Chris and he looked at me and we were like, we need to bump her birthday party up because we were planning on having it on her birthday because her birthday was a Saturday. Um, and we're like, we don't know if she's gonna make it that long. So we decided we're just going to do I mean, it. Imagine all the hard truths you guys are having to deal with this one after the other, blow after blow, oh. hard truth after hard truth. I mean, endurance after endurance. So I think that hospital visit was also another very important visit for another reason. Um, 
something that people don't probably think about. When you get put on hospice, when we had our first hospice meeting anyway, we sat down at the table and they went over the guidelines for hospice and, you know, what they do and what they provide and their support and all that. And they also pull out a paper called a DNR. Right. And we were like, no, because this was earlier. I mean, this was before the end. We were like, no, what? Yeah, what's, what is it? Why like, would we need? Why, we talk, right. why do we need to sign a DNR? Like, no, because she's she's good right now. She's good. Like, why? No. And the social worker who came with the nurse was very good. And he was like, no, we can do this later. This does not have to be done now. And we were like, good, because we're not signing it. Mm-hmm. No, if something happens, save her. Right. You know, like, no. Right. I believe that this was the hospital visit when we went up there. And we said, I said to the oncologist, I said, I think we're ready to sign the DNR. Yeah. And she pulled it up. For those you may or may not know, that do not resuscitate. So basically what that's saying is, is that if she goes into a life, like, well, life-ending episode, whatever that means, her cardiac arrest or she stops breathing, that they have permission from her parents to not try to bring her back to life. No, no um, extraneous life-saving measures. No CPR, nothing like that. Um, Basically, they can... If it's something like she breaks her arm, then right. yes, they can they can fix her arm. Like it's not like it's not like no treatment. It's like no life bringing back. Like if she's going, she's going. And that was that was hard signing that piece of paper. Yeah. Cuz at that point you're basically relinquishing all control. We are saying if she dies, she dies. Yeah. And we're not going to stop it. That was hard. All the hospital visits at that point were just... Brutal. Just right. rip your heart out. And we had lots of conversation about what to expect for the end. Because I didn't know what to expect. Like, you don't think... Unless you've been, if you, unless you've seen somebody die, you don't know what to expect. Right, how the body's going to react. Like what's respond. what's exactly going to happen? And this was the point where we got really good information about what to expect. Um, which what honestly, for. in my opinion, ought to be good. I mean, information. You know, you, there ought to be an enormous amount of information because I mean, this is unfortunately the truth of everybody's li- who's ever had lung air in their lungs. Eventually, we're all going to die. Right. And but it's one of those things. You're absolutely right that most people don't, don't even think about. You don't think you about. Don't, you don't ask yourself, what is the process of a death. dying body? Right. How does that, I mean, you see the movies. Right, but you. But it's nothing like real life. Right, and not dying like gunshot wound or car accident. This is like natural death happening. Right. Like, what exactly are we in for? What should we expect to see? What, 
you know, and more so than just the technicalities of, you know, gasping for air or, you know, those kind of things, like the physical body. There was other things that were talked about that were so important to hear. Um, Dr. Othman, you know, <laughs> she told a story about how <clears throat> if Ari is in pain, give her medicine. Because I'm like, what do I do? What do I do if she's hurting and the medicine's not helping? What do, what do I do? Um, I don't want to overdose her. And she says, Jessica, All right. you're not killing her. The cancer is killing her. Give her the medicine. Yeah. Give her the medicine. Don't worry about overdosing her. Give her the medicine because she's dying and it's not because of Do you. Do you think there's a part of you, though, that, that didn't want to do that because you didn't – because you were afraid of feeling responsible for it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's already a part of you that is probably fighting – at least it would for me. I mean, uh, there, throughout this whole ordeal, I would be thinking, what could I have done to prevent this? Even though there's literally nothing I could have done right. to prevent it. I don't even want to have any kind of hand in it whatsoever. Right. But this, you're exactly right, though. If the pain is the medicine is the only thing that's going to ke- keep her comfortable, the cancer right. is the one that's killing her, not you. Not me. In fact, you are the one who's making it bearable. Right. By doing this. Yeah. And those were the words that I held on to. And believe me, they did come into play. In yeah. the ending moments of her life, right. those words were in my head. Which you probably didn't even think about at the time. You're just like, okay, I, I will do my best. I will, I will, I will do what you say. Right. I, I, I'm hearing you. I'm listening to what you're telling me. Hopefully, I don't have to worry about that. You know, I don't want to worry about that. All right. But... So let's kind of let's talk then. Let's let's. So the party's over. Everyone goes home. The, the hospital's kind of night. Lady comes at night and mm-hmm. brings her her real present later on and that kind of deal. Right. Absolutely. That was a Saturday night. <clears throat> Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Was there any change? I, I know that when, if I remember, it was a Wednesday night. Was the because I remember getting the phone call while I was here at the office that I need to come over to your house, yeah. and that we're expecting now for the end to come. But Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, what were those like? Just kind of fill in like what those days were. Now knowing that those were literally the last seventy-two hours that you were going to be with her consciously. Tell me about just the dynamic of your home and your family and and and, and Aiden and, Aly- and Alyssa and how they, you know, their moments with Aria. And and I even asked C- you know, CJ the other night, he told us about the ice cream sandwich story, mm-hmm. you know, about how he got to feed her her last meal. She just wanted an ice cream sandwich, so he went and got a, a whole box. He's like, I'll do whatever I can to, to make this. You know, I kind of want to know. I, we're going to get to a little bit about your last moments with her. But I kind of want to know about the family itself, those last 72 hours before she went to sleep and didn't wake up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Sunday, uh, she was tired, lots of pain. Sunday and Monday were pain. The pain was just really getting out of hand, and it seemed like nothing that they were doing was helping. Like, it just... 
they'd up the dose and and you're giving her like a ridiculous amount you're probably right still feeling a little guilty like right Golly, like how much more of this do i gotta give her yeah i mean it just meds after meds after med, like oral meds her pump meds like i couldn't keep up with it it was just Did she even sleep i mean it was the pain so bad she couldn't even she sleep. slept and we knew that it was not good because, like I said, we had a monitor. And at this point, they gave us one that stayed on her. So every night, we'd put the oxygen monitor on her toe um, so we could monitor her oxygen. And it would just... It, every night, it would be worse and worse until it got what to the point... What was the lowest during those three days? What was the lowest the oxygen got that you remember? 30 30 and just watching i mean i can only imagine just watching that those numbers just trickle down and you're you're sitting there knowing that there's there's no calling 911 there's no taking her to the emergency room we waited out there's literally you just waiting mm -hmm. put yourself in that position listeners you're just waiting yeah wow it got to the point where we couldn't even have her on the monitor because it would beep if it got below a certain point and it was beeping all the time and we couldn't sleep. So we just had to take her off the monitor altogether. Yeah, because at that point, you're just torturing yourself, really. Right. Yeah. I mean. Because it's not going to go regardless, up. Regardless. Yeah, it's, it. just, it's, just a, it's just a, it's just a, exactly right. I mean, you're, you're just really torturing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it was horrible. But finally. Tuesday. Tuesday was different. Looking back, I'm pretty sure she knew. I'm pretty sure she knew. Mm. She knew her time was coming because she was not in pain. For what the first time. Like the drugs were working. Wow. She was happy. We finally got to a place where she was feeling not great, but better hmm. not better like i'm gonna be better but better like no but i'm the, not cringing right. and saying not, mommy it hurts no. over and over again she wanted to see her brother that's who she asked for was aiden so i called chris and i said aria really wants to see her brother why don't you guys come over aiden didn't want to come i think he knew too that it was close yeah but he did and thank the Lord that he did. Yeah. So they came over, all three of them, Chris and Melissa and Aiden, and and CJ was there, and my mom was there, and Kainsley was there, and we hung out, and she got to open all of her little surprise things that Chris had got her for her birthday because she really liked those like mystery bags mm -hmm. where you don't know what's in the bag and okay. you open it and it has like a Shopkins or mm -hmm. you know whatever like a squishy thing she loved those those were her favorite things and Chris had got her whole bunch for her birthday and she hadn't felt good enough to do anything with them and so she felt good enough that she could open her her surprises so we opened up her surprises and she played with her little squishies and saw you, now her. This is crazy to me because you're talking about the child who just 48 hours prior, even at a birthday party, just couldn't barely even move. Mm -hmm. And it was the it was it was it was all that she could do just to smile. Yeah. She just was smiling. Opening your presents. Yeah. She couldn't get off the couch or anything, but 
she was like, you know, she'd open them. She'd as much as she could. Um, she'd lay there and we'd show her them. And you think it was almost like just a surge in her body, just a, just a one last push through right. survival. I mean, instinctual survival. Right. That's almost what it Could sounds be. like to me. I mean, you hear about people talking about like uh-huh. crazy situations. Right. They, the surge. Right. <laughs> yeah. This adrenaline or whatever. And that's probably a lot of what this was. Like mm-hmm. the body was aware of its demise. We're going to push so all we're the going energy. To just every ounce of energy and, you know, fire that we got in our body. We're just going to just push it out yeah and we're just going to just one last survival hurrah right. it was everybody able to be present there everybody the was there everybody Alyssa, aiden chris cj my mom kainsley me we were all there we all you know hanging out and it was getting later and so they ended up having to leave and she, you know, gave her brother a hug, told him she loved him, gave her sister a hug, her dad a hug, told him that she loved them. They left, they went home. And that was when she requested the ice cream sandwich, which CJ <laughs> went and got her. And right. I actually have pictures of him feeding it to her. Wow. We had no idea at the time that was her last meal. No. Dairy Queen makes the best ice cream. I guess so. I've never had one. I need to try one. Well, what that's what Aria said. As as CJ is feeding it to her, she says, "Dairy Queen cooks the best ice cream sandwiches." (laughs) She loved it. She ate the whole thing, and it was the most she had eaten in a while. Like I said, in her last days, in her last month, hardly anything. All she wanted was ramen noodles. Wow. Ramen noodles. Ramen. I cooked probably 400 packages of ramen noodles in which she'd eat maybe a quarter. I, see, of. I remember that there'd be sometimes I'd go over there and like you guys would make her whatever she wanted, obviously, because she needs whatever. to eat. But then she would get the food and like her stomach would turn. She wasn't really interested. Yeah. I'll eat it later. She requested mm. macaroni cheese pizza from Cece's and my mom went and bought her a whole pizza. She... I don't even remember if she took one bite mm. and didn't eat any of it. Yeah. Yeah. We we tried everything. We tried giving her anything. If she requested it, we got it. She wanted Pop-Tarts, she got Pop-Tarts. If she wanted mashed potatoes, she sure. got mashed potatoes. Whatever it was, we were feeding it to her because we wanted her to eat. Um but anyway, so she had her ice cream Dairy sandwich. Cream makes the best ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Cooks. Cooks the best ice cream. Cooks sandwiches. Wow. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, um, my mom tells her goodnight. Kainsley tells her goodnight. They end up leaving, and it's bedtime. I hate bedtime. I hate bedtime because of this. Because every night, I didn't know if there was going to be a next day. Every night. I never wanted to go to bed. I didn't want to go to bed. CJ would be like, it's time for bed. And I'm like, I don't want to go to bed. I never did. Like every night I was like, why do I have to go to bed? And he's like, because it's late. You need to go to bed. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go to bed because going to bed means that this might be the last day that I have. Yeah. And And that day happened to be it. Yeah. (sighs) CJ came in and told her good night. They did their night like and love you because she was sleeping with me in our bed because 
all the monitors and stuff mm -hmm. were in in the room and it was easier and it was comfortable for her and for me um and she was just laying right next to you yep right there in the bed beside me and i bet you couldn't even stop touching her man i bet you like no i would lay in bed and stare at her yeah stare at her listen to her breathe because it got it's every single it was real right. you know raspy ish not that night but a couple nights before you know i'm sure you've heard the stories of people who say that they have they prayed for god to take the pain away and then the person died right i was scared to pray that I was scared because I didn't want to pray it and then her die. She was hurting and I should have been praying and I was scared to pray for her because I was afraid that she would die. And I remember I finally was like, she's hurting so bad. And so I prayed. She's laying there and she's like, owie mommy, and she's hurting. And I was like, God, please take her pain away. Help her to feel better. It was just a real short prayer out loud. And when I was done, you realize. she said, thank you, mommy. Wow. And then she went to sleep. Because the pain really did go away in that moment. Just you gave her a gift. I mean, she said, thank you. She did. She said, thank you, mommy. And it was that moment when she said that, that I was like, God, what is wrong with me? Why would I withhold doing something? Because I prayed for her. I prayed all the time. I prayed there'd be a cure. There'd be a treatment. There'd be a something. Help her, save her. But I didn't want to pray, take the pain away. Because taking the pain away could mean death. Yeah. But in that situation, though, Jay, you know, but she just, she more than anything, God knows our hearts more than our words. I know. And, and that God had to really prepare you and her for the right moment of when you were able to release those words, when you were ready, when she was ready to hear them. You said yourself, she knew that day, you know, and, and you just, you just had that feeling oh. that she just had that understanding and, and it couldn't have been more, if it's one of those things where if you have to, if we have to face death, if we have to face this ultimate demise, that day could not have been any better. And I, I use the word better as in light terms. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't mean better, obviously, isn't good. But I mean just the way it was that God just gave you mercy. Right. For her and for your family and, and for there just to be a... A proper send off, closing kind of closing, yeah. like like the end of a of a book of a chapter, you know, for her just to be able to, and I, and she wasn't just telling you thank you because you prayed for her. She was telling you thank you for all the things that you did for her, all the times the blood, sweat, tears, and and pain that you went through yourself. She wasn't just telling you thank you because you were praying for her pain to go away. She was thanking you because you took care of her. 
I know. Because you were her mother, and there was nobody else in that world that mattered more to her. I know. Especially at that moment. I know. Oh, anyway. So, that night, after CJ said goodnight and left the room, I went to roll over. I told her goodnight myself, and I went to roll over, and she says, no, wait, Mommy. And I was like, what? And I roll back over to her, and she musters up as much energy as she can, leans over to my belly, and says, goodnight, baby James, I love you. She had not done that. Not even one other time where she said goodnight. She always told CJ, don't forget to tell baby James goodnight. She never did. And that night, goodnight baby James, I love you. And we went to sleep. Everybody heard it. We went to sleep. And in the night... There was a point where she was like breathing really weird. And I was like, this is not good. So I tested her oxygen and it was down it was down to 30. And I was like, okay, what can I do? I gotta gotta make her oxygen higher. And I, so I did everything, you know, that my mind could tell me to do. I turned her on her side. Um, I took the pressure off of it. I put her arms up, you know, I opened up the lungs. I did everything. I got her oxygen up to like 60 something like that but I was like this is not good this is not good I know this is not good I was scared to death that that was it that that she was dying in that moment moment, and nobody was there but me and I was like no this is not happening this is not happening I finally got it up enough I gave her breathing treatment everything that I could possibly do to get her oxygen up got it up enough that I could fall back asleep. Was she sleeping the whole time? She was sleeping the whole time. Morning comes. And I'm like. This is it. I knew. I knew. Like. At this point, I was like, even. Even if she's alive her oxygen was really low i don't know how much her brain is still there because i mean when your brain is deprived of oxygen for so long you go brain dead and i was scared i was like i don't know if she's she's in there but i knew it was close and so i called chris Somehow it all just worked out. CJ stayed home. He, or he was already off. I, I don't know how it all worked out. But nobody, nobody's gonna say you gotta come into work. No, I mean I, I don't know if he was already off. I don't, I don't know how. I don't know. But my mom ended up there. And you guys ended up there. And I'm like, I don't even know how these people have gotten to my house. Like, I just know that Arya's not waking up. She's not. I knew. And she hadn't. 
I mean, we had gotten to the point where she would have been awake if she was awake. Right. We're talking like you went from the morning to noon yeah, to and afternoon, and she still had not woken up since I Love You Baby James. Yeah. And I, I remember that day was... I remember sitting on the bed with Rachel next to Aria. I remember Chris coming in and he had an appointment to meet with a um, funeral home because we were making arrangements, trying to get things worked out. He's like, should I go? And I said, yeah, nothing's changing here. Go ahead and go see what you can find out. He went and met with the funeral home. Um, my mom was there. Like, I remember people bringing food. I, it was such a blur of a day. I only remember sitting on the bed by her. And I remember at one point, Chris and CJ talking about funeral arrangements and me just being like, I turned to Rachel and I was like, can I tell them to go away? She's alive. She's here on the bed with me alive. Stop talking about her being dead when she's alive. Yeah. And they did. Eventually, like, I was like, can you guys not talk about this right now? Can we save this for later? Go. Because they they were talking about, you know, urns and stuff. Right. Um... And we had right, talked, she, was there, she was still breathing. She, was, she wasn't alert. She wasn't right. conscious. But she was breathing. She was still alive. She was alive right there next to me. Yeah. And uh, the day just went. Just went. A whole day of her... But well, I can kind of fill in here because I was on the outside looking in. Like I was, I was at your house, and basically my job, I took upon myself to be there for Aiden and Alyssa. Like because Chris and CJ were there working on the, you know, the 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 the, the plans of what's going to happen next and all those things. You and Rachel were there, you know, to be just being their kid for Aria. And that left your mom and myself just to be there for the other two kids. Right. And just to be, you know, make sure everybody got fed and what have you. And I think we had to order pizza or whatever. Right. But I think it was just, it was just a matter of, we were literally, all of us were just sitting there waiting. Right. It's like, it was the worst waiting experience I've ever been in. It's not like the DMV had nothing on it. Cause you're just sitting right. there. You don't know when it's going to end. Right. You don't know when things are going to change. You just know you're there waiting for a moment. There was no, we had gotten, we had an arrangements for Iceland to go with our other friends, Matt and destiny. And we said, guys, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be. Iceland right. very woke and it was staying the night, maybe through tomorrow. We don't know. And they're like, just whatever. Well, you know, you go do right. your thing, but that's exactly what it was. And I remember like Aiden, you know, we, we've got kind of talked about him, how he just kind of was like really just, standoffish but I really I learned something about him that night was that he he 
I never wanted to know how good of an artist he was, right? He's an artist. And, but how, I mean, how he's able to just take pictures in his mind and put them on paper. And I think that last that, that night, he probably drew like 20 things. Yeah. You know, because that was just what all he wanted to do was just to sit there and just draw. And I think that was just a way of him expressing the emotions he was going through. That was his therapy. That exactly. That his sister was down the hallway, not waking up. And, you know, in his own understanding, knowing that she's not going to wake up, that she's dying. He just had to just do something of comfort to him. You know, and Alyssa's a talker, you know, mm-hmm. so she, I just was just there to be able to talk to her. But I think that, that was the whole point is that we all had our individualized roles that night. Right. But you specifically, your primary objective was to be present. Right. Was to, to basically be there for when things basically when we turn the final curve. Right. So I kind of want to. Oh, here's here's I want to go at this point. I want to, I'm going to kind of set the story from where I was at this moment, and then I want, and then you can kind of fill in the rest of the gaps. We'll kind of go back and forth, because we both witnessed this event, but albeit in different ways, and, 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 and so, you know, and the only reason why I'm even bringing that up, not that my viewpoint matters, but I think when you are in that moment, all you see is Ari and your child dying you know uh and i'm able to at least give a viewpoint outside of the blur of just that direction right and and so i'm sitting uh outside on your patio with cj and this is it was just dusk it was probably around 7 30 8 o'clock it was still summertime it was about 8 30 actually i remember the sun was going down and him and I are just talking. You probably know we were talking about. No, who knows what we were talking about? Just you know, probably the circumstances. And I remember Jessica's mom, your mom, coming out and saying, "CJ, it's happening." What did that mean? Like, how? When did you? When did you know? Quote: It was happening. That you needed to rally the troops, get everybody together, because now all of a sudden we have reached the last turn. Like, cause I remember you had, you had the information you've already mentioned from the hospice. You knew what to expect. You knew the, 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 the I do not really know what to expect, but I mean, you had the signs to look for right. when death is at your door. How did, how did you know to send CJ's mom, or to, I'm sorry, to send your mom to come get CJ because it was happening? That's an interest. I, I've never heard anybody from the outside's story. Okay, so my story. I'm sitting on the bed, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like Aria has not talked or moved or woke up or anything pretty much all day. Um, I've been just continuously pushing pain meds to her, you know, because I didn't want her not able to wake up and suffering. Like I didn't want it hurting. Um, all of a sudden she says, she says, she she says, she says, owie, mommy, owie. And I'm like, it's been almost 24 hours since she was asleep. I was like, oh God, oh God. And I, so she's in pain, she's hurting. So I jump up and, or I ask Rachel somehow, I'm like, give me the medicine. Cause there was medicine on my dresser. I said, um, I need the medicine. I get the medicine. I give her the medicine. Ow, ow, ow. 
she's hurting. So I'm like, oh my God. And that's just the moment where the conversation with Dr. Rothman came back. You're not killing her. The cancer is. I sucked some more medicine yep. out and I gave her as yep. much as I filled that thing up. I was like, here, baby, take yep. it. Take you take the medicine, take the medicine. I give her the medicine. She's like, I, I don't know how to describe it. She's like, ow, ow. So I get up and I go around to the other side of the bed. Like I'm walking around the other side of the bed where she's at. Cause I was on my side. I went to go get the breathing machine because that's where it was at to give her breathing treatment. I don't know why in that moment I thought that was going to do something. You're desperate though. Yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, whatever I got to do. I get around to the side of the bed and she says, no mommy. And she holds up her arms for me to, to come to her. No, mommy. So I go, what, baby? And I put my arm underneath her. And I lift her up to hold her. And when she got to the upright position in my arms, she was like, (sighs) she released this like deep breath and kind of like just collapsed down onto my arms. And I'm like, oh, God, baby. And I lay her back, and I'm like, I go, and I'm like, breathing machine at this moment. I don't know exactly. I'm like, oh, God. And I get the breathing machine. I turn it on. Like, I just, I pick it up, and I turn it on. And she's doing the gasp. (gasps) You know, (gasps) exactly what they had told me to expect i didn't know like i'm like no it's not gonna be like what they say screw that no she's doing the gas she's freaking doing it and cj i had sent my mom i don't remember what i sent her out for but i didn't send her out because it was time i didn't think it was time i think i sent her out to get what did i send sent her out to get that's the breathing machine that's what i sent her out to get the breathing machine wasn't right there i said mom i need the breathing machine she runs out cj comes back with no he comes back without the breathing machine he didn't know what it was i said i need the breathing machine right now he runs out he runs back in he hands me the breathing machine that's when she was gasping yeah and i said cj it's the gasp and he took off and he went and he got chris because next thing i know chris is in there chris comes in i'm holding her hand chris is holding her chest the kids come in yeah i brought the kids in the kids come in your wife i don't I couldn't have a better friend. (laughs) I remember her holding her Arya's other hand 
And when I'm trying to figure out what the heck to do, she's trying to put the stupid oxygen thing on her finger. She's trying to get the oxygen. And I was like, no, just don't, don't, I don't. And then CJ comes in and she's like, CJ, you should be here. And he takes her other hand. And I can't speak for anybody else. Because in that moment, it was just, this is it. And we sat. Yeah. And we sat and... The whole family was in a room. The whole family. Everybody. Right there right by her. In the bedroom. Holding her. Talking to her. Telling her goodbye. Telling her it's okay. They love her. And then she still had her oxygen mask on. I remember going to take it off and Chris was like, no, not yet. And then the moment I think he felt that her heart had stopped beating. He's like, okay, you can take it off now. And we took it off. And all I wanted to do was hold her. I couldn't wait to hold her. I was like, stop, get out of my way. I have to hold my baby. And I picked her up. It was so weird. You might think when your children are sleeping that they're like the dead, but they are not. Hmm. There was a whole nother level. She's so heavy. Way heavier than I remember her being. Like, she was just heavy in my arms. And, you know, lifeless. And she had peed in the bed. And I was like, oh. And I said, it's okay, baby girl. I'm not mad. No. I'm not mad. No. And I just picked her up and I held her. And I remember staring at her face, trying to memorize every little bit of it. Every little bit of it. I touched her nose and her lips and her eyelids and rubbed her baldy head. And I just held her. I just held her and watched as her face turned a different color. Blood drained from her lips. They were like not the rosy pink. They were like a clearish. I remember calling I remember calling the nurse because I asked, you know, what what are we supposed to do when she dies? Like, what do we do? And she's like, just call me. I'll take care of everything. I didn't even have to tell her. I called her and I said, I said, hey. And she goes, I'm on my way. She knew. She came. 
She uh, checked for pulse. Obviously, there wasn't one. Chris called his dad, told his dad to come. My mom had disappeared. My mom <laughs> disappeared. Yeah. She left my house. And I freaked out when she was gone. I was like, where is my mother? She couldn't take it. She drove around the block. Came right back. Yeah. And we all kind of just gathered around. Saying our goodbyes. And then... uh CJ's mom was there too. Uh-huh. And his dad. And Sam. Yep, they were there too. Yeah. There were so many people. I didn't leave the room like all day. I'd, I don't I don't know what was happening besides sitting in that bed with Aria. But we were all there. Everybody saying our goodbyes then uh CJ's mom told me she's like you know you can change her clothes you can wash her body you don't have to send her like this and I was like I didn't know I didn't know at all and I she was you know she was wet and so I gave her one last bath I didn't know that on the bed we got one of her bath bombs and a basin of water and I stripped her down and I washed her body and I changed her clothes so she would be clean And then I held her until um, the people came to take her, the funeral home people. Yeah, I want to talk about that for a moment. Between the time that the hospice came and call, you know, it came and, you know, checked her pulse and everything. Between that time and the funeral director, the funeral home came. Took forever. I know it may not seem like that for you, but from somebody like in my view, like where I was standing, it was at least it had to have been two hours. And I and I don't necessarily know why. And I wasn't about that to complain because it doesn't matter. I mean, I think every single moment that you had with Arya right. before they she had to be taken away was worth it and necessary and valid. But at the same time, I'm thinking, why are they not here yet, you know? But it was okay. No. See, and from my perspective, that time went by so fast. Yeah. So fast. I was was not ready, but I knew... I knew because we we had asked, you know, how long can we be with the body afterwards before it has to be taken away? And and the law is like 24 hours. Um, But she said, she said, but you don't want more than two. Uh 
because her body's going to start changing. Yeah, I'm wondering that's probably what it was. Is that there's probably probably she said because I remember we somebody asked her. And they said, don't worry, they'll be here when they get here. I think it was just kind of a matter of she wanted to give you and the family and Chris and CJ right. as much time. Yeah. Because once they take her away. That's it. She's not. That, she's yeah. not the same ever again. Yeah. It's just At that point, she is, their body is a shell of what she was. And the only thing you have left is what's in your memories and your heart. And so you're creating memories all up until that point. Right. I remember Chris came into the kitchen uh, during this time. And, you know, being a father myself, you, you know, you, you have, you, you have this, especially when you, when the mother of your child, regardless if she's my wife, when the mother of your, of your child is there just breaking down, you, you still have this natural inclination to want to be strong, right? to be that source of pillar of strength. And I remember him walking in and I said, man, just come here, dude, just let it go. You need a place to just release. Mm-hmm. And then he did. I mean, just from a man to a man, it was one of the greatest things I've ever been able to experience to give him that ability to just let it go. And he just, I remember him crying, Sean, I've lost my baby. Yeah. I don't, I lost my baby. Just hearing those words and hearing from another father just ripped me to my core. And it just put the last three years, into, you know, two and a half years of all of you guys have just experienced this really just to a, to a point to now. The the chapter is truly ending in this point of the story and in, in Aria's life. And we're creating more even by just doing this podcast and this episode because we don't want her memory to ever fade away. Right. But as far as her being physically here on this earth, it was it was time, and and shortly after that, he went back in there, and then they 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 came to the door, and we they were so kind. Yeah, so kind of kind of talk about just how how that happened. I mean, I know that there was two big guys. They we you know walk into the room, and and they actually let Chris carry her carry her out, yeah. which was pretty awesome he came and told me he said when they get here i'm carrying her out and i was like okay i was more than happy to give him that um they were just so kind they were like take your time we're here whenever you're ready and at some point i was like okay I'm never going to be ready, but I'm... We have to redo this. I'm ready as could be. Yeah. And I handed her to her dad. And he carried her down the hall and down the stairs and out to the the gurney. Yeah, it was like a truck, like a box truck with a gurney that had been pulled out. And uh, they were able to put her on there and... And we got to say goodbye again. They waited. They were so kind. And they took a blanket and they covered her up. This is the middle of the night, too. It was yeah. probably like one in the morning. It was late. Yeah. Um, they covered her and we said our goodbyes and then they put her, put her in the truck and drove off down the road. They gave us hugs. They were so yeah. nice. 
Well, I mean, I think you can imagine. I mean, they, I remember one guy saying that he actually was talking to Chris, and he was talking to Chris and said, "Hey, you know, I just say, you know, I, I kind of know what you went through because I lost my own child. I don't know if you knew that, but he was talking I to Chris, didn't. and he said, you know, I lost my boy when he was young. I don't think I think he was not as young, but he was obviously still had buried his own child, and said, I, you know, I, I can feel what you're feeling right now, and I just, I'm sorry for your loss, and yeah. we'll take good care of her, and that kind of deal." Um. Yeah, they were I, good. I did you even sleep that night? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess in a way, I can see, I can see it going either way. I can either say there, there's just this release. I don't want to say it's not relief, but there's a release there that you would just crash. Because I was worried about that. I was worried that we were gonna leave. Everybody else was gonna leave. It just leaves you and CJ at the house probably holding each other crying yourselves to sleep i can imagine did you sleep Aiden stayed Aiden stayed that night okay yeah Aiden stayed that's good um Alyssa i think went with her dad Aiden stayed we were sleeping in the living room well cj was sleeping in the living room anyway because right. ari was in the bed we weren't going back to bed right um so we had a blow up mattress and I slept on the blow up mattress with CJ and Aiden slept on the couch right next to us. Yeah. I woke up with the worst headache ever. Yeah. I just remember being like just exhausted. Like just drained. Like it's like your body just says you gotta sleep. But here's the thing: is now you have, and, and now you have not only the the responsibility to take you know the other funeral arrangements and things of that nature you know that you're dealing with, but you also have a world of Aria support supporters who don't know yet that she's passed on, and and so it's like conjuring up the strength to be able to tell I don't know that you did Chris did yeah that's Chris right. did it I was like we need to tell everybody we need everybody to know because mostly I didn't want any how's Arias the next day no. um I think he even did it that night yeah he did it that night yeah and it was just it was short, on the on the social media the Facebook page that we short had built for sweet. Aria right. um yeah you probably had. Did you even have your phone on? I mean, at that point, I don't even know. Would, I don't know. Yeah, I'd just sort of silent, just watch. I mean, because it's one of those things where people, do you call, do you not call, whatever. I think at that point, obviously, you, most people wouldn't have called just because they knew that they just to give you some space right. and you some time to to, to cool. really just put this whole experience in perspective of some sort. Yeah. Um, I want to briefly talk about how the about the funeral home. And about the and about the the funeral and the church and things of that nature. But really, what I want to talk about and how I'd like to end today's episode and this whole story is uh, her birthday and how we went to the hospital for her birthday. So let's just kind of briefly talk about the 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 the, the, the basically now you are faced with having to create a service, right? For your six-year-old who just passed away, 
something that everybody talks about. Nobody, no parent should have to bury their child. And now you are that parent Living who has it. to literally, you know, bury, unquote, the child. Um, I know that the local funeral home was very good to you guys. I mean, very they, they seem to be just like really just kind and accommodating, very professional. Uh, and, and, and that was, I'll go ahead and give a shout out because they deserve it. It was Dove Funeral Home, right? Dove Cremation. Dove Cremation here in Topeka. Yeah. Um, I remember them just being just spectacular to you. And then, of course, your church, Fairline, or not, um, Wanamaker Woods, uh, right. Nazarene Church here in Topeka, the pastor, you know, opened up the services in the yes. church and said, whatever you need. Right. He was um, very good. Um, it all kind of just fell together. It was, it was hard, but it was easy. Yeah. I mean, nobody, we didn't want to fight with each other on anything. And we had discussed a little bit prior to her actual passing, you know, um, that we wanted her to be cremated. Um, so we agreed right what was away. The, mm, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not asking as a judgment. I don't, I don't, I think that that's not my heart. My heart is what was... Why, why the choice to do cremation over burial? The motivation behind cremation. Yeah. Um, there were several factors. One was that I would like to be cremated. Right. Um, so I just couldn't imagine a body without its mother. Mm -hmm. But more so than that, I don't want to leave her ever. I don't want to have her body in the ground right. and me being afraid to move to another state because then I don't see her. Mm -hmm. She's not with me. That's a good point. She's somewhere else. Like I can't have her be in a location because she has right. to be with me. Like central. Right. Right. She has to be with me. I, she's my baby. I'm not just putting her somewhere and then, you know, cause life happens. And I know another family who, went through the loss of a child and one of their not regrets, but one of their bigger predicaments is that they chose burial and they thought about moving to another state, but their biggest holdup is if they move to another state, they have to leave their baby. Right. And for me, that wasn't even an option. It would option. be difficult because even to go and – I mean, that actually makes very, very good sense because I have a grandfather who is buried in West Texas, and that was fine when everybody right. lived in West Texas. Now the only thing left in West Texas is him in the, in right. the graveyard. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, it was more of a of a – I'm not I'm, – nope, I'm not leaving her somewhere ever that's not even an option. And another part of it is that, you know, me and Chris aren't together and I wanted to be able for us both to have a piece of mm -hmm. her. Makes sense. And have a way that you can so, remember her. Right. And, and that we the ash is obviously being, you know, you, there's her. creative ways to uh, creative and, and, and useful purposes that you right. can, you know, what you can do with the ashes, you know, to, to honor and to memory right. and th that kind of, because I know like you got all the kids and yourselves got necklaces mm -hmm. made, you know, made out of the ashes, right? right. Or well, you, with ashes, with in ashes them. in them. Yeah. Uh, I know that you guys have, um, 
you know, each have a, an urn, you know, yes. that you have. We have um, matching matching urns that we bought, um, as well as matching travel urns that have ashes that we can take, take to go places if right, we want right. to spread her, which, you know, is our goal to spread her ashes mm. wherever we go because we want her to always be with us. Yeah. Um, so that was like their main motivation, I think, was just to. That's beautiful. I mean, to, I really. To have her. Yeah. And and when I die someday, I mean, her ashes can be in with, with my ashes yeah. and we will be together forever. Yeah. Even if it's just a small Physically, portion. spiritually, emotionally, mentally, right. every single possible way, she can be part of you and yeah. with you. That makes absolute sense. Yeah. So. Oh, the the service was was I mean uh, hard. I remember you asked me to speak at it. Uh, it was an honor to speak at it, but I remember even saying that no one wants to be here. Everyone here, this is the last place you want to be, but the only place you uh, last place you need to, last place you want to be, but the only place you need to be. Yeah. And 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 I think that that's exactly how we all felt that day. That that there is no place we'd rather be but at the same time as the last place we want to be and I think that uh, you know everybody who spoke and was there you know and said well wishes and thoughts and but these are just these were <clears throat> people even nurses and doctors yeah. showed up now you said, I know you mentioned Dr. Hoffman just, just couldn't she it was, told us yeah. at that meeting where we signed the DNR she let us know then she said I love you guys I love Aria, but I will not be at her funeral. Yeah. She's like, if I am to continue working and doing the job that I do, I cannot go to the funeral because she, she can't. I mean, there's another kid that's going to need somebody to take care of them. And that would break a heart. Yeah. It would, it would almost. That's too much. Yeah. It almost like you'd almost end you. Yeah. So, So, okay. So her birthday. Right, that's what her you birthday. Yeah, because her. Now that we have the funeral out again, she she passed away on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Her birthday. Her birth, was what, what day was the service? Uh, was the, it was that following Sunday. First. Right. It was Monday. It was Monday. So fast. So so I so, so I'd like to kind of talk about. Right, they two go two days prior to the service. It was you mentioned in, and even CJ mentioned it. Aria's heart was eternally giving, very giving. I mean, literally anything, everything. If she could create it, if she could, (laughs) you know, give it, if she could do anything to put a smile on your face, to see just a reaction, a positive reaction by something that she was able to do and give. That's what made her day. That was her motivator in life. And so (laughs) now, of course, it's her birthday. You know, generally birthdays are days that you present and give gifts to the birthday child. Unfortunately, Aria was not here, but yet you still wanted to find a way for her to give and for her birthday to be celebrated even though she wasn't physically in the earth anymore. So let's kind of talk about that. Well, how did this all kind of come about? Did uh, you know that at her birthday party, at her birthday party that we had had three days before she passed away, um, <laughs> she gave presents to the kids that came? Did you know No, that? I didn't know that. So 
when she found out she was having her birthday party that day, uh, that Saturday, um, maybe two days before, something like that, she said, I have presents for my friends that I want to wrap. And I was like, okay. And mind you, she was pretty much just bound to the couch at this point. She wasn't doing anything. She said, I have presents that I want to wrap for my friends for my party. <laughs> I said, okay. Okay. What is she, were these presents that just like old like gifts? That like Nope. These were real presents. Wow. Um, we had bought her an entire package of schnookums, which are like a little furry. Your daughter has one little furry balls of fluff. Yes. I've seen thing. It. Yep. Yeah. She had a whole bunch of them that we got on sale, like a whole package of them. And it was her idea to give them to all of her friends at her birthday party. Um, so we went into the bedroom, me and her, and she wanted to wrap them, but she couldn't. She was too weak. She couldn't even sit up for long. So I wrapped them for her. She gave me the tape. Wow. She was in charge of the tape, but she was so weak. She could barely pull the tape off. She had the hardest time, but she was determined. She was She's wrapping these. Right. So I wrapped them. She told me who each one was going to go to. She picked it out specifically based on the kids we thought would be attending the party. Um, and so she picked it all out. We wrapped them all up. And at her birthday party, the kids came in and they opened their presents oh, from wow. Aria. Oh, great. She was all about giving. She would wrap up anything. We got presents from her almost daily. <laughs> yeah, I, get I was cooking the whole time. But I didn't see any of this. So yeah, that's why. Yeah. I know she, that. she gave presents mm -hmm. to her friends at the birthday party. And that's all she wanted was for them to mm. have something and be happy. Um, yeah, so on her actual birthday, we thought it would be super fitting, true Aria style, to take presents to the kids at the hospital in her memory. Wow. Um, as like a yearly tradition. Uh, obviously we're not buying her birthday presents anymore, so we're going to do what use Aria would do. Use it right and give it we're to gonna children. We're going to buy gifts for all the kids at the hospital and we're going to go up on her birthday and we're going to deliver the gifts to the kids in the hospital. And three days after my child died, that is exactly what we did. Yeah. And as sad as it was going back into that hospital, it was also wonderful to know that we were doing something for her. Yeah. And that she would be right there beside you. Yeah. You know, come on, mommy, you know, let's do this. Right. I want you to kind of share. I know that that was kind of really fitting because obviously these are, these are people you knew. These are strangers. These are just parents with their children who are in the hospital for some reason. Right. We don't know why, but obviously it's bad enough that they're having to not only be at the hospital, but to stay in the children's section of the hospital. So right. it has to be something that they're... You know, they're being treated um, for they're something. They're being treated for something. It takes a lot of boldness. You know, I mean, obviously you have the motivation with Aria, but it takes a lot of boldness to to even talk about it just to, to a friend, let alone a stranger. And, and and so how do you like I know there's at least one or two stories that you maybe told me of just how it was a blessing to the people that were there. What what would like can you kind of share kind of what happened when you would give the 
when you when you would give the gifts away. Well, we didn't take them to make people feel sad or no. to feel bad for us or anything like that. I mean, this it was, was just truly, truly just a gift. A, a gift right. from Aria in her memory. Right. Well, and then I know that a lot of those people um, wrote in Aria's uh, obituary. That's what it was. I remember that. That that's kind of maybe what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Is I remember that they just said I didn't know Aria, but she gave to me into my family and blessed us, even though I didn't even know her and she didn't know us. Right. Her memory still lives on. Yeah. By blessing us with presents for her birthday, and I think that's kind of where Aria lives is in our hearts, is that she's continually giving to us. Right. I mean, just think about the last, we've, we've been talking for the last almost three and a half hours now of just <laughs> of just her presence. In our, right. in our, and there, there's countless stories we didn't even get into, but right. the whole point of this is just to show that every single life, even a life of six years old, matters, means something, is worth it, is, right. is, 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 you know, we got to start paying more attention to one to another and start thinking better of each other than the worse of each other and really start finding ways that we can be unified rather than divided. I mean, if that's one thing that, you know, that, that the situation teaches all of us is that every single day, we don't know what the end of that day is going to be like. You didn't know that morning right. you were going to wake up and go to bed with the knowledge knowing that there's nothing you can do to for your child to survive this cancer right. and we you know every single day what do we do we're going to take this day and utilize it to do something good with it right. and even if we do find ourselves going to bed with the absolute worst news ever or a circumstance that just you know rips us to the core you know those moments where we have prepared ourselves to be able to endure and to get by that's what's going to sustain us and we can just use these memories that we have, of not only Aria, but every other child and every other circumstance that overcome obstacles just to motivate us to keep pressing on. So, Jay, I, I want to thank you. I, telling the story, I know it wasn't easy. I know that there are definitely moments where it was more difficult than others. But I really appreciate your heart. I really appreciate you just stepping out and just sharing. And, and you know, the greatest thing about this is because we put this all to tape i mean this is gonna last forever now right you know we in a way have made aria's story permanent right and that just warms my heart that you were you chose this show and this time <laughs> and this moment now just to come out and just express it and and just to share this story share this experience and now we truly know without a shadow of a doubt that aria will live forever yes so thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. I'm not going to do all my normal spiel. You know what to do. Rate us on iTunes. Send me an email. This is lifepod at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter that this is lifepod. You know, I just want to, if, if, if this, uh, one thing I will say is, is if you have questions, why you've been listening to the last five now episodes about Aria, if you have questions that maybe we didn't answer, that we didn't ask, or maybe I didn't ask right or whatever, maybe glossed over, Jessica's already agreed that she'd come back in for kind of a question and answer. 
you know, and so if you have a question that you would like to ask Jessica or CJ or Chris about this experience, and maybe maybe you're even going through something similar, maybe you have your own self where you're going through, you know, maybe your child is going through a life-threatening disease and, and you just need some advice or counsel or just to put it to paper that you're not the only one, whatever it is, but you have something you want to ask or share, please send me an email that this is lifepod at gmail.com and I will I will answer it and uh, we'll get back with you and we'll uh, maybe even have an opportunity to bring um, a question and answer segment to the to these shows. Until next time, God bless you guys. Aloha and mahalo.